0: Recorded in front of a live audience at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington, it's LiveWire. With comedian Paul F. Hopkins, writer Heaven Nagatsu, creator of the Oakfield, Matthew Whitman, with music for B. Bernhardt and the Devil Mate 3, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of LiveWire, he's got a big blue mirror a Reggie Cumberbatch, and his dad's fiat for the night,
4: Luke Burbank!
3: Wow. Well, show's over. Thanks, everybody. I'm glad to see that fun little game has followed me over from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you very much, Neptune Theater. Thank you, announcer Jason Rouse. Our theme this hour is Homecoming, and we picked that theme for a couple of reasons. First is because it is almost homecoming time when they have the football game and the formal dances at high schools all across America and Also because to be doing the show here at the Neptune Theatre in Seattle for me To be on this stage is really a kind of a homecoming because I grew up a few miles from here and I remember Shout out to geographic proximity I remember when this theater was a movie theater called The Neptune, and they were known for playing really kind of like uh, indie films and really out there stuff. And I remember a movie that I came to see here when I was 15, and you have to realize that I grew up as a fairly sheltered kid. I was raised in a very Christian household. Uh, We didn't go in for anything of a sexual nature when it came to TV and movies. My mom would say most things were fresh. So, I had seen, by the age of 15, maybe one or two R-rated movies. And I came here to the Neptune to see a midnight showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which essentially destroyed me. There were dudes in fishnet dressed up like Dr. Frankenfurter, People were screaming at the film because they knew all the words. They were throwing things. I did not know what to make of the whole situation. But I also found it very intriguing. And so I started coming here to the U District to sort of hang out. And, like, I would watch older kids uh, on the Ave, which is the street that's just outside the theater. And I would save up my allowance, and I would go and I would buy things from one of the 20 or 30 Rastafarian-themed stores on the Ave, you would think one would be sufficient. If you want to see white dorkiness, you really need to find a picture of me at age 15, 130 pounds, covered in acne, wearing a hand-knitted Rastafarian hat. And back in those days, the kind of center of everything in the U District was a coffee shop called The Last Exit on Brooklyn, which was this kind of amazing place. It was like out of a Jack Kerouac book. You had philosophers and the college students and hippies and homeless people all converging in this place. They had an espresso machine in the 70s when nobody even knew what that was. It was like a very interesting place. And me and a fellow Christian school chum named Derek decided that we were going to go to The Last Exit on Brooklyn and watch the open mic night. We'd never been there, but we'd heard it's legend. And we were really intent on not embarrassing ourselves when we got there, just fitting right in, just looking like everybody else. So we walk in, and I remember the dude at the open mic was playing an acoustic guitar cover of the Talking Heads' Psycho Killer. I remember it because it was the first time I ever heard that song. And I thought that guy wrote it. And I was like, he is going places. <laughs> and so we go and we, we sit down at this long communal table, and we immediately start chain-smoking cigarettes, which was not a thing either of us did. Mom, this is the first time you're hearing about this? Okay. It's gonna get worse from here. So we're sitting there, chain-smoking our cigarettes, listening to the people at the open mic, everything's going great, and then I look over across the table and I see that Derek is turning a very peculiar shade of green from the cigarettes. And I realize that he is about to, uh, how do I put this delicately? He is about to yak. (laughs) But he doesn't want to say anything because he's super embarrassed. And also he's trapped because this is a communal table and there's like a brick wall there, a brick wall behind him and the, like, five beat poets next to him (laughs) playing chess or Go. So he can't even get out of there if he wants to. So his solution is to order some food from the menu to try to settle his stomach. But we're two 15-year-old kids who mostly eat at Arby's. We do not recognize any of the words on the menu. (laughs) Except one word, soup. He orders the soup, and when it shows up, I realize this is not going to help. It is a half of a cabbage sitting in, like, clear, weird broth. And I watch as Derek gamely picks it up and just starts eating it like an apple. And as soon as it gets to his stomach, it has the exact opposite effect as he's hoping for. I'm watching with amazement as the entire cabbage, still pretty much intact, comes flying out. And Derek catches it in his hand like a softball. (laughs) And nobody noticed. (laughs) My point being, you can get away with a lot in this neighborhood. I think we're going to have a heck of a show. Should we get our first guest out here? (laughs) Paul F. Tompkins was once someone... We here at Livewire could only admire from afar. We'd seen him on Mr. Show, heard him on his podcast like Spontania Nation, as well as the animated Netflix show BoJack Horseman, where he plays Mr. Peanut Butter. All of that changed, though, one day last winter when we finally got up the nerve to invite him on this show. And he said, and I quote, let me talk to my agent. And then much later, the agent said... Fine. and now he's like best friends with the show please welcome Paul F. Tompkins to Livewire
5: oh hi hi everyone hello Seattle how do you do lovely to see you again.
3: It's great to have you here. I have been greatly enjoying the show BoJack Horseman that you are one of the stars of. It's true. It's true. For those who have not seen it, can you try to describe the program?
5: It's a sad cartoon about people, animals and people and how sad they are. How did you get the gig? I don't even remember. I think I did get an email from my agent saying, uh, you got offered this role on this show, and that's a big deal to just get offered a thing and not have to audition for it. And that immediately made me devalue the project. Um, And I was like, at least they're not making me jump through any hoops. So... (laughs) I, I said, yes, I, I, re- I read the, the first script, the pilot script, and it was funny. And I was like, oh, this is a funny cartoon for grownups. I was thrilled because I, I had lucked into being a part of this, what I think is a very special thing.
3: It has, uh, the rest of the cast is incredible. And for those that don't know, Bojack is a horse who starred in a sitcom about a horse that adopts three orphans. And he made a bunch of money on that, and he's just kind of in this limbo after the series. And Mr. Peanut Butter, your character, starred in a show where a dog adopts three orphans. Yes. And he's doing better, at least at the outset.
5: He, he's had pretty much the exact same career trajectory. He did this um, critically panned but very popular uh, Triacly sitcom. Um, and, and Mr. Peanutbutter's is a complete ripoff of BoJack Horseman's sitcom. Um, but Mr. Peanutbutter has just this, the greatest outlook on life and just sees everything as all the same things that Bojack, ha, BoJack has experienced, Mr. Peanutbutter experienced as a result of fame. But Mr. Peanutbutter thinks they're all great.
3: And this should come as no surprise that Mr. Peanutbutter's character, the cartoon, is a yellow lab. That's right. Which I happen to have one. Right. And I see so much of Mr. Peanut Butter in her. Absolutely. <laughs> Paul, hold on. We, we've got to take a quick break. I want to hear much more about this, though. Uh, we're going to hit pause and take a short, short break, but we'll be back with much more with Paul F. Tompkins right here on Live Wire Radio. Well, hey there, Live Wire podcast listeners. We could not do this show without you. The radio show couldn't exist without you, our fine members, and this podcast in particular could not exist without you. If you would like to become a member of the League of Extraordinary Listeners, if you're somebody who has been listening to LiveWire as a podcast and it brings some amount of joy or entertainment into your life, maybe even comfort, who knows, uh, this would be a great time to go to LiveWireRadio.org and to join up 5 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever works for you. Uh, We've got some cool stuff that we'll mail you as a thank you. And uh, everybody will win Thanks to all the people who have become members already And thanks to all of you who are about to do that Right now by going to LiveWireRadio.org Welcome back to LiveWire From PRI, Public Radio International My name is Luke Burbank We are here with the inimitable Paul F. Tompkins Hi! Don't try to imitate me I was listening to your wonderful podcast, Spontanea Nation. Thank you. And thank you. I learned that we suffer from a similar affliction. Oh, you
5: had me at suffer.
3: <laughs> terrible, terrible handwriting. Yes.
5: I was on a recent episode of the show, was chatting with uh, the wonderful uh, actress Nicole Parker. Nicole Parker, Mad TV, uh, the Broadway stage, and. She started describing her challenges at having to write a thank you note, um, which is still, by the way, that's a baller move to write a handwritten thank you note to someone. If you get one of those, that is a special occasion. When something comes in the mail that you actually want to open, like, oh, what's this? (laughs) This envelope doesn't have a plastic window. What's this?
3: One of my, my wife's family is an uh, incredibly polite and thoughtful group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you say. Uh, this is why I do not fit in well with that side of the family. But they're an incredibly thoughtful bunch, and uh, one of her aunts in particular is a, a, just an amazing thank-you note writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we keep seeing her and her husband, and they keep having to write thank-you notes, and she's trapped in a thank-you note feedback loop right now. So they write thank-you notes just any time they see you, yeah, if we were pleasant to be around, thank right. you so much for being yeah. here. Oh, And uh, that's, that's a curse.
5: That's a curse.
3: And I almost feel at this point, like I'm taking time away from her life by seeing her because then she has to follow up with the thank you note.:
5: Well, I would take it as a challenge to see how unpleasant I could be to make the notes stop. <laughs> like I would do it I would do it incrementally just gaslighter. Yeah, just kind of get more and more like, oh, that that didn't work when I let the door close in her face, all right?
3: Next time, I will add in just yawning while she's talking and see what happens. You have just described the plot of a Will Ferrell movie. How rude could he be and still get a thank you?
5: I certainly didn't mean to do that. But look, so here's the thing, is I will... I will start, I, my handwriting is so terrible, and it's gotten worse. And I've abandoned, long ago, abandoned, um, like, cursive. Like, linking the letters together. That was a no-go. Just, I, I never got it in school. I'm not going to drag this into my adult life. Forget about it. So I just print. And then my printing is so bad, because I'm in such a hurry to be done printing, that <laughs> It it doesn't like my I had to send a condolence card recently and it was going to be from me and my wife and I wrote the card and then uh, my wife wanted to look it over before she signed it I don't know what's like what did she think I was going to say I'm glad that dog died
3: so this is really a kind of a, <laughs> a dark view into your well, marriage you don't have thank you you, you don't have condolence card privileges <laughs> No, uh, it's always
5: falls to me to write them. But she will always check them over. I I mean, she could just be reading them. I take it as an insult. So she was reading it out loud and having such a hard time making up the words that I was like, maybe she has the flowers for Algernon disease. And, And she's headed back the other way and my handwriting's not that bad. But it turns out my handwriting is that bad. And so what I will have to do, and maybe you've experienced this too, this came up in the conversation, because Nicole Parker was talking about this, and it was blowing my mind that someone else has this, this experience of, I have nice stationery for special occasions to send nice notes, and I will have to abandon a note so many times, like, first line, look at it like, ah, no one knows what that word is. <laughs> then these cards are stacking up. Yeah before I finally get to the finished version, which
3: is my wife has to... <laughs> <laughs> Proofread. ...decode it like she's in the Bletchley Circle or something. We're talking to Paul F. Tompkins, uh, who you may know from uh, such shows as Mr. Show, BoJack Horseman, uh, Spontanea Nation, which uh, is a show, your podcast, Spontanea Nation, that... Uh, starts with an interview with a guest And then spins off into a really great Improv story that you and some improvisers do Yes, I feel like improv is Really having a moment right now You got the Mike Birbiglia film that's out mm-hmm. About that, there was a big piece in the New Yorker A couple weeks ago It is. Do you feel like improv Is kind of, I don't know Making its way even more Into the mainstream, there's always been a lot of really talented Performers that do it, but I feel like yeah. it's, It is sort of having a moment
5: I think that you know, you mentioned Will Ferrell earlier. I think that uh, it, it began with that generation of performers um, who would incorporate uh, a lot of riffing into their into their films, and they all came from improv backgrounds. And I think that um, the advent of podcasting, I think YouTube, I think all of this stuff has made it so that more people know what improv actually is. You know, mm-hmm. and so I, I think I think that because of maybe most people's experience with it might be whose line it is, is it anyway, which is games, you know, and uh, you can see that done very well in whose line. You can see it done to varying degrees of success other places, but I think the games are something that uh, can leave you cold because it, because it is, at the end of the day, it's a game, you know, and it, it's a lot of fun, but it's nothing like seeing people um, do scenes, whether it's long form or, or narrative improv, which is what we do on Spontane Nation, like to watch people telling stories um you know when it's more than just quick jokes you know looking for joke opportunities um and they're really trying to create a world and uh i I think that uh because people have had more access to it lately um i think our understanding of what it is as a culture has deepened and i think people are
3: yeah i think they're they're seeking it out more maybe than they used to when you're doing that are you in like some kind of fugue state because you're so fast at it, as are the other people on the show, and I just I marvel at that. I mean, how, what is like, what does it feel like to just be going that quickly with so many amazing little just improvised moments? It, it's playing, you know. It feels like playing.
5: It feels like when you're just making things up, and you're 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 all contributing to a story. Um, and the thing that um, for me, coming from a stand-up background that I really appreciate about improv and, and why it's been so wonderful this this kind of relatively late in my career to get into this as an art form is that you're working with other people and so you're all trying to do... You have a common goal. You're all trying to do one thing, which is tell this story, add to it, make it more fun, um, but keep it going. No one wants to derail it. No one wants to... If it's done well, no one wants to like hog the spotlight. they all Everyone wants to serve this thing. Um, and I think that the... The, the kind of thing that you go into when you when you are comfortable doing it is um, just a sense of real uh, camaraderie and play. The, the times that I've been in that room uh, just playing around with three other people are uh, among the happiest hours of my life.
3: Well, you are incredible at it. Seriously. You're very kind. It's, I'm, a, I'm... it's an amazing, amazing ability.
5: That's, that's very kind of you. I... I, I I still consider myself um, someone who is learning, and and the goal always is to surround myself with people who are way better at it than I am so that I can continue to learn from them. Um, And I have some of the best uh, teachers in all of improv, you know, on my show every week.
3: Well, it's working. It's an awesome show. Thank you. Paul F. Tompkins, everybody. Thank Thank you. Uh, Paul, we're so glad to have you back on the show. Thanks
5: for having me back! This is fun!
3: After, I, didn't know, I didn't know if you were going to come back on after um, the, the incident last time you were on the show.
5: It was not my favorite thing that happened,
3: but we're adults and we mm-hmm.
5: move past these things.
3: I speak, of course, of the quiz that, the we, quiz! that we subjected you to. Uh, That you did terribly at It was, the question was Is this a character from Star Wars Or is this an actual piece of Ikea furniture
5: (laughs) But here's the thing, here's the thing It was like the Expanded Star Wars universe Or whatever, it wasn't like he said Darth Vader and I was like, a coffee table (laughs) It was hard And then I think, I also think Those are some deep cuts on the Ikea
3: furniture too I think there were some discontinued items in there Let's not get bogged down in the past, Paul We want to give you a chance To clear your name (laughs) So Clear my name? Clear my name? Yes My word Our announcer, Jason Rouse Has put together another quiz And this one we think will be He better not be in this building A little bit easier for you He's not here tonight, is he? Hey Paul He's right across the buddy. Are you kidding me?
0: I got eyes on you
3: Hi This is fine You're going to do well I'm pulling for you The theme Listen. The the theme of this hour (laughs) The theme of this hour is homecoming Sure And so you live in Los Angeles Yes I do And so uh, Jason came up with a quiz About Southern California Right?
0: Yeah I just went
3: into Wikipedia Five minutes You live in Los Angeles
5: Jason came up with a quiz About Southern California so it's already widening out
0: No, it's fine It's not that big of a place It's, it's about
3: <laughs> a specific city In yeah, Southern California Yeah, what right. it
0: is, it's all about Burbank, California And also wildly popular Public radio host Lou Burbank It's a quiz we're calling Burbank or Burbank
5: Alright Okay Alright okay. right. This R- seems fair
3: yeah, no, we're, we're teeing this one up for you. All right, Jason, you ready? Let's, uh, let's yeah, let's, 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 let's get underway. Luke, this first one's
0: for you, buddy. Okay. Luke, what is the average daily temperature in Burbank, California? Is it Ooh. 103 degrees, 48 degrees, or 76.3 degrees?
3: One of those sounds higher than it it's should be. It's one of one the sounds... three.
0: The answer is one of the three. Okay. 108, 103...
3: 48,
5: 76.3 okay. I already have a problem with this
3: I think, I, I think it sounds like I'm going to say 76.3 That is correct, buddy Oh, heck yeah
0: Alright, that's great and I, sh- and I should let you know that If one of you doesn't answer correctly You, you do have a chance to seal So Paul, get ready for some extra points You ready, buddy? This is for you Sure Paul, what color of tuxedo Did Luke Burbank wear to the North Seattle Christian High School Junior prom?
3: White. Can I steal? Luke, you can steal.
0: That isn't correct, Paul. Luke, would you like to steal? It was Houndstooth. It was Houndstooth. <laughs> Point of order?
5: Point of order. Paul, did you say something? Yeah. Okay. Two big problems right off the bat. All right. I don't know why this quiz is called Burbank or Burbank. It should be called Burbank and Burbank. Also, houndstooth is a pattern. It is not a
3: color. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, Paul F. Tompkins. A lot of guests, if they were challenging one of the quizzes based on sartorial questions, based on a, a question of pattern versus mm-hmm. color, they would be dead wrong. But you, my friend, are absolutely right because yes, you are. You are an incredibly bespoke individual. How about this, Jason? Yeah. Let me just take that's, that one off. I, I will submit. I will I will surrender that point. Because he's got a good point. It's okay. not a color, it's a Okay, pattern. then oh, he okay. Do you feel, do you feel heard. I, I feel heard. That's good. So,
0: okay. Paul, you're only down by one. So that's good. You're doing great. You're right in the thick of it. Luke, here you go, buddy. Okay. Luke, what is the name of the airport located in beautiful Burbank, California? Luke, is it? Is it Luther Burbank Airport? Is it Dwayne the Rock Johnson Airport? Or
3: is it Bob Hope Airport? It's one of those three. I think it will someday be Dwayne the Rock Johnson Airport, but I think for now it is Bob Hope That Airport. is correct.
0: It is Bob Hope Airport.
3: You. Paul, you don't look happy right now. Paul you, you look, want to continue you look with the inert. Just ask the question. Okay. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of defeatist attitude that got yeah. you creamed in the IKEA I, Star exactly. Wars quiz.
0: All right. Paul, you got to get serious if you want to do well in this. You got to really
3: How about this? How about this? What? F- la- final question to Paul okay. for, for all the marbles, okay? Okay, this, this is, will be like This is for everything. A let's ten give point this question. a 10-point question. It's not you could easy. win big. It's not easy. You could
0: win big instead of losing ugly, which we don't want to do twice. We don't want to do that. It would be terrible.
5: I I paid for my own Uber here. I just want that noted.
0: Man of the people, and we we appreciate it. Paul, what are the names of Luke Burbank's six brothers and sisters?
5: Boba Greedo... Bjorn Billy, Leia Monmouthma. You,
0: you were so close. That was like five you out of so six. You were so close. That was five out of six. Amazing. Luke, Luke, do you want to jump in and maybe steal it?
3: Uh, I think I can do this. All right. Uh, I got the list here, so. Okay. It's uh, it's uh, uh, Elizabeth, Sarah, Hannah, Rachel, Sam. David, and that Bo- is the correct answer. This is run right on the table. Well, uh, that game didn't really go the way that we were hoping it would. Oh, didn't it? <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins, ladies and gentlemen, the long-suffering Paul F Tompkins.
0: This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical un-Alaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. Alaska Airlines, fly Nice.
3: This is Livewire Radio. Our next guest, Heaven Nagatu, should be right at home hanging out on a radio show because she co-hosts a hit podcast from BuzzFeed called Another Round. The show has gotten so popular that Hillary Clinton asked to be a guest, and when she showed up, she ended up having what many people feel is still the most interesting and honest conversation that she has had with the media during her campaign. The interview covered everything from institutional racism to what kind of deodorant Ms. Clinton prefers It's stick, by the way, solid choice. She's also, I didn't even realize what a sweet pun that was until I said it out loud. She's also on staff at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Please welcome Heaven Nagatu to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Heaven.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: Let's talk about another round.
1: Yeah. How
3: did you and your co-host Tracy meet? Was it at BuzzFeed?
1: So Tracy started working at BuzzFeed. Yeah. Uh, she was black employee number five, so I was very excited when she got here. <laughs> I was black employee number one. This is BuzzFeed 2012 era. Very different BuzzFeed from now, which has, like, enough black people that I don't know the exact number. <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> Um, and we just hit it off immediately. When when you are like writing in a white media landscape, and you have like a sense of humor about uh, you know, like race stuff, it doesn't always go well on your super white website. But once you like get together and hang out and do a little podcast, people are like, yeah, those girls are fun. Uh,
3: how'd you guys get Hillary Clinton on your podcast? Another round.
1: So six months in, and we're like, yo, we're popping, we're great, we're doing it. <laughs> and Hillary Clinton seem, hits us up, and like we're like, wow, we're popping, we're great, we're doing it.
3: Yeah, that is a strong indicator that you're popping and great. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: it was very clear to me that Hillary Clinton's team wanted to make sure that they were like solid with the African-American women vote. And we are a pretty crucial uh, electorate for the Democratic Party. We decide a lot of elections, is what I'm saying. Um, it would be very dumb for them not to reach out to us. It was rare to like have a interaction with a political team like that where they're like, we want to vet every question or we want to give you the exact, like, sort of parameters to have the conversation on. And they were very clear from the beginning, we respect the thing that you guys do, we respect the kind of questions you ask, we want her to have a tough but fair interview. So I was like, okay, I hear you. (laughs) Uh, So then we went to Iowa and found her and hung out with her for a little bit. She told us she couldn't drink because she had other things to do. Right,
3: because I should mention that another round is not, that's not a metaphor. You it guys is, are drinking alcohol during the We're about the, the show. bourbon
1: life. We're about the bourbon life. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and I was very uh, impressed that when you guys were sitting across from Hillary Rodham Clinton, you had the, uh, the bravery to say, you want some bourbon?
1: Yeah, I feel like she really wanted some, but she was busy. <laughs> I believed her. I did.
3: Um, were you nervous about that interview?
1: I don't know if I was nervous so much as like I kind of wanted it to be over already. <laughs> so our editor-in-chief, Ben Smith, uh, told us a thing that I had already felt, which is, you're probably never going to get a chance to talk to her ever again. <laughs> They're not going to let you do this again. <laughs> which is what I had already thought. I didn't know why they agreed to do it in the first place. But um, going in with that kind of attitude, I just didn't... I don't know, I didn't have any qualms about the kind of questions we'd ask. She wanted to come to us on our terms and like, you know, the whole format was in our, in our home turf sort of territory. So I was like, I respect that you're doing this. I'm gonna ask you the questions I would have asked, you know, any sort of guest who I'm interested in but have some curiosities about. And she handled it well. She was very present in the interview. Uh, once in a while, she'd give us the like, I met a woman in Iowa who blah, blah, blah. And we'd be like, all right, girl, get on with it, get on with it. You know, not like that, but, you know, with body language and stuff. (laughs) And then she, like, was very present and answered all our questions, and I really respected that.
3: Um, We're talking to Heaven Nagatu. She is the co-host of the Another Round podcast. Can I ask you about a game that you invented called Is This the Name of a White Dude in Public Radio or Just Some Syllables I Mashed Together? (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I learned about a guy named Saturius Johnson who was a white man. <laughs> what? Uh, and then there were others. I listen to public radio a lot. I appreciate public radio. Shout out to public radio. But also, I feel like black people in general in America get on about like names and stuff. It's like, whoa, 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 Reince Priebus. <laughs> don't come for me, don't come for me. We all have weird names. I am heaven.
3: <laughs> A lot of the attention that your show gets is where people want to kind of declare this show another round as being like the first time two black women are getting together to make a podcast or that you guys are some kind of special category of human. And I know that you and your co-host put that down really fast.
1: Yeah, it's weird. People act like black women haven't been talking to each other for centuries. (laughs) It's weird. No, I, I think, don't get me wrong, we're dope. We're great. Do not get that twisted. But there's so many black women who are having similar conversations as we are. There's so many people who mix, like, intellectual sort of conversations about what are people doing about the police state, and then also people who are talking about, like, the petty thing they did at work that day. There's a lot of people who do that. I think that's most humans, honestly. People are very frequently talking about hard issues and then also fun stuff. So it's weird to me that people always signal us out as sort of having a monopoly on that when... That's just what black girls do. This is this is not like unique to the medium or like the show. It's like our lives. Black people have been laughing to keep from crying for centuries. We are not new. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Also, people try to act like diversity is hard, and I'm not saying you don't have to put work into it, but it's not hard. We're out here. There are so many of us. You just literally found two go out and try some more.
3: Heaven Nagachu, the show is another round. Thanks for coming on LiveWire. This is LiveWire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank, I'm your host. Our musical guest this hour and his bandmates hail from Vermont. they got started playing a blend of bluegrass, country, ragtime, rockabilly, and about eight other styles thrown in there. The band is called The Devil Makes Three. Their new album is Redemption and Ruin. Please welcome Pete Bernhard from Devil Makes Three to Livewire. Tell us about the song you're going to play.
4: All right. Well, since you're having such a good time and it's been so funny up here, I think I'm going to play a song that's all about death and dying. Okay. This is a song that we uh, we recorded on our next record, which is going to be out on the sixteenth. But uh, it's a song written by Towns Van Zant, who is one of my big songwriting heroes. Yes, legend. And uh, he writes a wonderful hopeless song. And uh, this tune's called "Waiting Around to Die."
3: This is Pete Bernhardt from The Devil Makes Three on Livewire.
4: Sometimes I don't even know where this dirty road is taking me Sometimes I don't even know the reasons why But I guess I'll keep rambling Lots of booze and lots of gambling It's easier than just waiting around to die Folks, I had a mall once I even had a paw he hit her with a belt because she cried. She told him, take care of me. She headed back to Tennessee. It was easier than just waiting around to die. I met a girl when I came of age in a Tuscaloosa bar. She cleaned me out and hit it on the slide. Oh, I tried to kill the pain, I bought some wine, I hopped a train, was easier than just waiting around to die. friend said he knew where that easy money was So we robbed a man and brother did we fly They caught up with me, they drove me back to Tennessee Four long years just waiting around to die Now I'm out of prison, I got me a friend at last He don't drink, he don't steal, he don't cheat a lie His name is Mophane, and he's the nicest thing I've seen. Together, we're gonna wait around and die. Together, we're gonna wait around and die.
3: That's Pete Bernhard from Devil Makes Three, right here on Livewire. We are here in Seattle this week, and thank you. I actually grew up here, and I know one thing. uh, If you are traveling around the rest of the country or even the world, and you mention that you're from Seattle, uh, people will say, oh, you mean where Starbucks is from? Sometimes it will happen in a Starbucks in a different city, which feels pretty meta. Um, But we've been doing some research into Starbucks this week, we're doing the show here, and we found out some really fascinating stuff, and and that is that the first Starbucks was actually not at Pike Place Market, like they tell you. You always see tourists lined up there. They've actually figured out that the first Starbucks was found in a cave at the foot of Mount Rainier. (laughs) It's like from the Ice Age. It's like 11,000 years old, and it's insane because they have found manager's logs that were scrawled on the walls of the cave, and they've been able to piece together what life was like in that first Starbucks, and we are extremely excited to present... I mean, this is probably the first time anywhere... a kind of a picture of what life was like at the first Starbucks. Also, uh, interestingly enough... They found some notes about the music that they played at the first Starbucks, and we actually have been able to recreate that too.
4: I waited till I saw something don't know why I didn't come I left you by
6: the house Long shift. <laughs> Run out of beans in late day had to use dirt instead. No one noticed. (laughs) Argue with customer. He mad because he say name on cup, not his name. He say his name, Gronk. We write Trunk. He mad. We laugh at him because he's so mad. We think we do this every day. He's so mad, we laugh. So funny. We think about adding snacks to complement coffee. Like puma meat. Probably something for vegans. Those vegans are worst. My wife makes a suggestion, she says you should add pumpkin to coffee. She say, people like pumpkin. I say, forget it. People don't want pumpkin and coffee. What are we, ape? (laughs) That a joke, cause we come from ape. We discovered new drink today. We put milk of cow in coffee. Call it latte. We like name, We, we keep it. Had to write up Gronk today. Different Gronk. So many people named Gronk. Don't even get me started. I write him up because he not dye his skins black to match dress code. Dress code very important when selling coffee. Dress code say you're serious about selling coffee. (sighs) Have to go roll stone in front of door. Long day. This ice age will be the death of me.
3: There it is. A scene from the world's worst and first Starbucks.
0: This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, offering online delivery. Get snap peas, a caprese sandwich, and a gelato All without leaving the sofa. More information at
3: WholeFoodsMarket.com. If you've been on the internet, like, ever, then you've seen Matthew Inman's work. Even if you do not realize it, you have. His website, The Oatmeal, gets up to 7 million visitors a month, features some of the most popular online comics, musings, and tangents in history. Comics like Why the Mantis Shrimp is My New Favorite Animal and What It Means when you say literally. He's also written books, helped invent a card game called Exploding Kittens that raised almost $9 million on Kickstarter, and founded a run where people eat cake along the way. Please welcome the extremely productive Matthew Inman to Livewire. Thank you. Matthew, welcome to Livewire. Thanks very much. Were you an artistic kid? <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, I drew a lot. Did you have a go-to drawing? Like, I was not good at drawing as a kid, but I felt like the Garfield that I could draw was the least bad thing, <laughs> so that was kind of my show-off drawing thing. Did you have something like that that was your go-to?
2: No, weirdly enough, when I was a kid, I, I felt like I never drew for an audience. I drew because I I liked doing it.
3: That would and, explain why you're good at it and it's your job I, and why I'm hosting a public that's radio like show. the
2: one thing in my life I do for that reason. Everything else is for vanity, I suppose. But I felt like when I was a kid, it was honest. Uh, I don't I didn't really have a go-to, but I did try to write a comic when I was, like, seven. Um,
3: what was that one about?
2: So, uh, basically, it was a superhero called Man, and he wore black, and he went out at night and fought crime. It was really imaginative. It didn't sound at all like... <laughs> Like Batman, maybe? Yeah, he was just Batman with his ears shaved off is really what he was.
3: I was reading uh, a comic of yours that has kind of an arresting title, and then when you get into reading it, it sounds like it was an extremely traumatic thing. I'm paraphrasing here. I think it's when your house is burning down, you should brush your teeth. Yeah. Because this happened to you. Your house burned down. You didn't know it was happening. You were actually brushing your teeth.
2: Yeah, when I was, uh, I think I was eight years old, and we lived in the woods in a big house. Uh, it was the middle of winter, and this log rolled out of our fireplace into the living room and set the house on fire at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And um, my sister woke up and saw the fire and got everybody out of the house. And I wrote this sort of comic about it and how, uh, in a nutshell, we had 17 cats living with us at the time, and they all died in that one night. Yeah, I know, it's very, very sad. Uh, there was one cat there, though, named Domino, who was, uh, who was like mentally disabled and drooled a lot and was incontinent. And he survived, so that's
3: silver lining. Yeah, I mean that's a
2: yellow lining, really. (laughs) Um, But I mean
3: that's like you describe in the comic how it wasn't like the house caught on fire; there was some smoke damage, and then you moved, you know, to a condo for a few months, and they fixed it. It was like the house collapsed right after you guys got out of it.
2: Yeah, it was a three-story house; it was very, very large, and the uh, the middle floor caught on fire first, which uh, burned through the support beams which caused the f- top floor to collapse on the second, collapse on the third. So we, we got out within, a, you know, uh, it was probably about ten minutes after we got out of there uh, that it collapsed. So we're very, very lucky to be alive. Uh, the, the sort of interesting thing about that story isn't the story itself. I mean, it's, it's a unique story to have. Most people's houses don't burn down. Um, but that comic in particular uh, for me was very, very important because it is this division between what the oatmeal in my eyes used to be and what it is now. Prior to that comic, um, most of my work was, I will say, clickbaity, like a lot of it. I would write comics that were meaningful to me, but a lot of the time I would write comics that were five very good reasons to slap your cat in the face with a ham sandwich. And I'd done that for a long time, and there were these rising websites that were thriving on this content, and I realized I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be a clickbait website. So um, I decided to write something meaningful. And in this case, it was the comic about my house burning down. I spent, it was like 100 hours on it, which for me was a long time.
3: So you, you actually had the awareness to start writing about stuff that meant something to you. Did you think that that was going to take off the way that the sort of second act of the oatmeal.com has taken off? No.
2: No, I thought everyone would, would hate it. I thought people would just, you know, call me the Oprah of comics for being preachy, you know, or like wholesome or like some after-school special, where it's like, I was worried that's what what would happen, because I'd gone from from writing things about the pros and cons of having rabies versus having babies to to these comics about being happy, or um, the history of Christopher Columbus. It was a big departure for me.
3: We're here with Matthew Inman, the creator of the oatmeal.com, and also the uh, co-creator of the Exploding Kittens game. This was an idea that uh, you and some other people had, that you, was it Kickstarter that you, that yeah. you raised the funds for? And you raised almost $9 million yes. for? Yes. How does the game work exactly?
2: Uh, in a nutshell, you have a deck of cards, and you draw cards. If you draw the kitten, you explode, and you die, and you're out of the game. <laughs> you don't want to draw the kitten, it's bad. So that was the base of the game. And that's a terrible game, that's not fun. <laughs> There's no strategy there. So we added strategy. So if you have a card in your hand, it's called a diffuse. You can diffuse the kitten, and you can diffuse him using a laser pointer, catnip sandwiches, tummy rubs, things like that. So you can sort of placate the kitty. That's the game in a nutshell.
3: Did you think it was going to raise $9 million? <laughs> no,
2: no. I, I had some expectations because I've done a few crowdfunding campaigns uh, before, one of which was six figures, the other one was seven.
3: A lot of the money you've raised online has been for charitable causes and other projects. It's not enriching you directly. It's a way of of raising money. But I'm wondering, is it almost like a scary feeling to know that you could go home from this show, get on your computer, put a thing on Kickstarter, and it's extremely likely that you would raise a million dollars?
2: I don't know if scary is the right word. That just feels like...
3: I don't know why you're not doing that every hour of every day, (laughs) 360. I mean, you have reached this status. By the way, we're talking to Matthew Inman from The Oatmeal, the creator of The Oatmeal. You, You have created this community of fans and people who love your work where you really could put almost anything up on Kickstarter and raise crazy amounts of money. Do you have to, like, really think carefully through the things you want to throw your your energy behind?
2: Yes. I mean, uh, more than fear, though, it's, it's, it's comforting in one way because I'm a cartoonist on the Internet. Our lives are ephemeral. We, we peter out and we go the sad route of, you know, nobody reading your stuff. And I've I just have always lived with that philosophy that in a year, I will be completely forgotten. So I've always written with this idea and built things with this idea that this is the last thing, this is the last funny thing I'll ever make. Uh, so knowing that I could at least raise a little bit more money... Before I wade into these murky, dark, terrible, sad waters, it's comforting.
3: Yeah, it's a real message of hope. Um, we've got to take a short break here on LiveWire. We've got Matthew Inman here, creator of The Oatmeal Thank oh, you. at TheOatmeal.com. Stay with us, we will be right back. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot, advocates of active living and makers of the Jarvis. The best height-adjustable standing desk out there. How do I know? Because I use one when I'm on stage recording LiveWire. And it is amazing. All kinds of uh, bells and whistles. You can set different heights that work for you. It will remember them. It's just an amazing little device. Plus, there are tons and tons of independent reviews online you can read from people who love their Jarvis. Embrace your inner child and do not feel like you have to sit still. Movement is a basic human need like air or water. Here's the thing, though. If you have an active lifestyle, you know part of it probably includes being at work. we got to pay for that active lifestyle somehow, right? So this is the thing. Just because you're at work doesn't mean your inner child has to sit still. You can experience a new way of living that allows you to fully be in your body and do your best work. Find out more by going over to ergodepot.com. Welcome back to LiveWire Radio from PRI. Coming to you from the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington. Our theme this week is Homecoming. We're talking to a guy who lives not too far from here. Matthew Inman is the creator of TheOatmeal.com. You recently wrote a a new comic that really blew my mind, and I have gone back and reread it four or five times, trying to see if I understand the concept behind it. It's called How to Be Perfectly Unhappy in which you say that you have never felt happy. How is that possible? So because you can raise millions of dollars on the internet.
2: <laughs> and that's the key to happiness is raising money. On that's the internet. what I've yeah, heard. That's, that's, yeah, it's, um, it came down to me just generally being unhappy about the word unhappy and happy and that whole concept that we have. Because if you tell someone that you're not happy or that you're unhappy, they infer that you're depressed and that you're miserable and that you're terrible and that they need to fix this thing that's broken with you. And I've never felt happy and all my needs are met. I'm comfortable, I've, I've got a great life, I love my pets, um, but I'm not happy. I don't walk around clicking my heels and smiling. And I realized that I am not a happy person and I never will be. Instead, I am someone who does things that are meaningful to me and I do things that are fascinating and I find myself interested. For example, I run, I'm a runner, and I've run some long distances. Uh, my longest race was a 50-mile mountain run. Uh, most marathons have a few hundred feet of elevation change. They go up and down. This one was 17,000 feet of elevation change. So my toenails fell off. Uh, my brother, uh, he went into kidney failure. My other teammate was in the hospital afterward. It's a very hard,
3: Sounds like thing. an awesome <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: pretty great, yeah. It, <laughs> Um, And from that, I I don't do these things because they make me happy. I'm not smiling. It's torture. I'm doing it because I find it meaningful and I find it interesting. And that became the core of it. I work a lot. I I spend a lot of time drawing and writing, and I'm not smiling when I'm doing it, but I'm I'm interested. And that became the core of it.
3: Okay, so um, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life because you're doing pretty well, Matthew. (laughs) But is that essay and that approach to life a way of making peace with the fact that you're not maybe feeling some of the same feelings that other people are having, or is it that you don't think other people are even actually having those feelings and they're just confused?
2: I wrote in the comic, I mean, I I honestly don't know. I don't know what other people feel. I know what I feel. So uh, in the comic, I wrote basically that it's irrelevant. I'm never gonna feel like they feel, and I'm kind of okay with that. I, I do believe there are people who walk around and they are filled with happiness and they have some positive light inside them that powers them. And those people, uh, at least one of them in particular on Twitter, told me that actually being that person is just as aggravating uh, as being me. Where I walk around, everyone's like, why aren't you smiling more? You need to turn that frown upside down. If you smile all the time, everyone's like, what the, what's wrong with you? Stop, stop being so positive. We are in a ball. Uh, we are a bag of meat on a rock, traveling throughout our space. And our sun is going to blow up,
3: and we're all going to die, and you're smiling about it. So like, being incredibly- Now I'm depressed. <laughs> I'm supposed to be... The- positive light on the show? (laughs) Sacks of meat on a rock, hurtling towards...
2: Yes, 67,000 miles an hour to an untimely death. And, you know, my point is, uh, I think being
3: incredibly... Yeah, what is your point, Matthew? I think
2: my point is that being incredibly unhappy or just being whatever the hell it is I am versus someone who maybe describes himself as happy can both be rather miserable because, you know, the world is sort of trying to tell you how how to feel and how to act and how to be.
3: I'm so glad, Matthew, that uh, even if you don't feel what we conventionally think of happiness, uh, that you've figured it out for yourself and that you're making these these comics and writing these books and doing all this fun, interesting stuff. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you very much. Matthew Inman. Find out more about him at TheOatmeal.com.
0: This week's show is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing. With the weather cooling, the leaves are turning, and that means it's time for Pump Kick Spice Seasonal Ale. Brewed with pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, allspice, and a tart flash of cranberry at the finish, Pump Kick is like a favorite sweater, because winter is coming. More info at newbelgium.com.
3: All right, here we are at the end of the show. Let's tell you about the people who helped make this happen because it took a lot of folks. First of all, thanks to all of you for coming out to the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks to our guests, Paul F. Tompkins, Heaven Nagatu, Matthew Inman, and Pete Bernhardt from The Devil Makes Three. The show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Our announcer and writer is Jason Rouse, a.k.a. The Caveman. We also got writing help this week from Laura Sams, Barbara Holmes, Steve Newman, Andrew Walsh, and Carrie Burbank. Last name is very familiar to me. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director. House Sound by Dan Droz. our on-air mix by Corey Schreppel. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop, Carlson Audio, KUOW, and STG Presents. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Laura Harden is our marketing manager. Our copywriter is Hannah Withers. Additional funding provided by the Meyer Memorial Trust, the James F. and Marian L. Miller Foundation. Livewire made possible by the generous support of our members. Special thanks this week to Willie Toth, and Grace Allworth. Visit us at LiveWireRadio.org to find out more about the show. My name is Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
6: PRI Public Radio International.